Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. Today, we're talking about bridging millennials, traditional leadership, and tomorrow's leadership. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership across the world and work with those leaders to co-create a thriving future. This includes helping leaders identify disruptive trends and developing strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and in the future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted to have returning guest Greg Moran. Greg is a C-level digital strategy and change leadership executive with extensive global operations experience. He led corporate strategy for Ford and designed the plan that Alan Mulally used to turn around the company. Greg held C-level IT positions in app dev, infrastructure, and core banking apps at Ford, Nationwide Insurance, and Bank One, J.P. Morgan Chase, respectively. He began his career in consulting with Arthur Anderson slash Accenture, working across industries with approximately 100 companies over the course of a decade. He is passionate about leadership and culture and teaches part-time on the topic at Ohio University. So today we're going to be talking about the range of leadership from traditional leadership, millennial leadership, and what kind of leadership we need as a society moving forward. And this is in the context of right now dealing with COVID-19 and the coronavirus and what kind of leaders are able to make the pivots and inspire their colleagues and suppliers and investors during a time that is incredibly uncertain. So as our listeners, one of the questions for you would be, as you're listening, what are you looking for in leaders around you or in yourself that you would like to see in these times of disruption? This will come and go and other disruptions will come and go. But those leadership qualities demonstrated during a crisis really reflect the kinds of qualities we should be building into our leaders. So, Greg, first, welcome. Well, thank you. It's great to be here again. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. And as you point out, we're in a uh, a prescient environment, if you will, to talk about leadership and strategy. So let's talk about as we start the conversation, and this builds on what we talked about right before we got moving, is we are living in a world that has a level of disruption not seen before. We're talking about things like quarantining that hasn't happened at this level for a hundred years, and yet a hundred years ago, we didn't have people flying around the world, that kind of quarantining, and we didn't have people being monitored by the the codes on their phone, that if someone's quarantined, we can now track you. 
So we're in a world that where we haven't faced this level of challenge before. And so we talk about a new operating system. And in the intro, I talked about millennial leadership. And you very accurately said they didn't change the the leadership model. So can you say more about that? Yeah. So I, I think it's important to frame up this question of evolving leadership through the lens of not necessarily tagging it to a generation. Mm-hmm. Each generation grows up in a context created by the generations before them. Mm-hmm. And necessarily, that context has shifted. So you've got Generation Z now growing up in a world that looks very different than the world that millennials grew up in. And so Gen Z conceives of the world through a different lens and they expect different things in terms of leadership. What that doesn't mean is that the fundamentals of strategy have changed or that the fundamental questions of leadership have changed. What it does mean that the things you have to do, the tools that you use to express leadership definitely evolve over time. And uh, we were talking about examples, political campaigns are easy to pick, you know, pick on in an election mm-hmm. year, mm-hmm. right? And if you use the same techniques on the stump that you did 100 years ago, you would not get elected. <laughs> right? You would not make it through the primaries because your but, buggy wouldn't right, get to the right state. Exactly. But what we are seeing that at the end of the day, the fundamentals still do matter. What is your platform? What do people believe you're going to do? Do they they believe you're a credible leader. All of these things are fundamental questions that are independent of whether or not you've got a really good social media ground game. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It really does. And, and I appreciate the idea that we're not throwing out good, solid, traditional tools like strategy that we talked about, that some of the execution of strategy will certainly be enhanced by new tools. But having a vision and a strategic plan are foundational to how businesses run. Well, and as you were pointing out, just using the COVID-19 example, you're right. There are some elements contributing to risk in this particular situation Mm -hmm. that we may not have faced. uh, One could argue that at this point, we look a lot like, you know, H1N1. But the point is, the movement of people, the movement of those uh, viruses as a result of Mm. the movement of people is way faster than it's ever been, and it's way more than it's ever been. On the other hand, we have a bunch of tools available to us that we've never had before to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's a glass half full, glass half empty. You can have that debate, but I think you do have to express leadership in a different way. We now have social media as a way to reinforce strategies to manage the virus. We didn't have that. Mm -hmm. Even 10 years ago, we didn't have those tools available to us in the way that we do today, right? And so I look at it as, you know, leadership in a crisis has some fundamentals that apply in every crisis. Mm -hmm. Standing Mm -hmm. still is not a strategy, right? (laughs) Like things start to happen to you by default. And I grew up in the IT world. You know, I've been through 72-hour outages where we had an entire company on its knees because of a eastern seaboard, you know, power outage or because of some massive failure of the operating system. In those moments, you have to make decisions based on very limited information, and then you have to execute on those decisions. And by the way, not all of them turn out. But it is better to be in motion, typically, Mm -hmm. than to not be in motion because not being in motion – 
lets the events control you versus the other way around. That's a fundamental premise of leadership and strategy Mm -hmm. that hasn't changed. The tools have changed. Does that make sense? It does. And I talk about leaders using the mind of the scientist. And by that, I mean scientists formulate hypotheses based on incomplete information. They craft experiments, often the smallest experiment that can produce the data they need to make the next experiment. So a controlled experiment right now is about what do we close? How do we do it? Absolutely being in motion because I gather more information through my small experiments. Now, the catch-22 on that is you also have to be managing the implications of those decisions and how people will perceive them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I do think uh, not just the mind of a scientist, but the mind of a systemic thinker is important. You have to be Mm -hmm. thinking about the implications of your decisions and the second-order impacts of those decisions. So uh, I happen to be working at a, at a venture capital-backed startup right now. Mm-hmm. And the other day, Sequoia put out a memo, very similar to one they put out in 2008, that basically is the sky is falling scenario. You should lock down your funds, and you should lock down all your startups and don't let them spend any money because it's, you know, this could be a black swan event. Mm-hmm. And it has definitely had ripple effects across the whole VC community. Sequoia has a loud mm-hmm. voice. They're a big VC. They play large, right? And so that's a case where you've got somebody responding to the situation and making a decision to characterize an event a certain way that's going to have strategic impacts for startups across the country, potentially mm-hmm. fatal ones, right? And so I think thinking through the implications of the decision you're making, Mm -hmm. where maybe the cure is worse than the disease, is also a responsibility of leaders and that systemic thinking. And, you know, am I creating a ripple effect here that that has unintended consequences? We had a conversation in the hall right before we started that schools closing because of the virus for people who are in families that don't have sufficient food, that has a big implication. For people who are living paycheck to paycheck, who can't just work from home because they're they're in service industries, that means they don't get paid. And that impacts their ability to pay their rent and, again, rippling through households, families, and communities. And quickly, this isn't a year from now. This is next week. Yeah, and we're seeing great examples of leadership and probably less great examples of leadership Mm -hmm. in real time. Yesterday, Microsoft, Satya Nadella announced that they're furloughing a lot of their hourly workers because their campuses are closed down and they don't need people to serve food and clean Mm -hmm. the buildings, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And they've committed to pay them through the shutdown, right? Because he thought through the second order impacts Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. and what that would due to those families who tend to be on the lower end of the income scale. And so I think that thoughtfulness and recognizing that a company that has the means and has Mm -hmm. the ability to make a decision that manages those second-order impacts, if you're one of those workers and you get paid through this event, how loyal are you going to be to Microsoft, right, for the rest of your career, (laughs) right, exactly. And so I think there are ways to show leadership in ways that are explainable to investors, Mm -hmm. like follow that premise that you and I have spoken about in other shows of true sustainability and of true 
corporate accountability to a broader set of objectives than mm-hmm. just this quarter's outcomes. Yeah, the more conscious business, looking at my range of stakeholders, and I think that's what you're pointing to. As leaders, I agree, you know, we look at the seven mindsets and behaviors of leaders, and one of them is being a 360-degree thinker. I'm able to step back and look at first order, second order, third order implications across the ecosystem, not just in my company or my community, but often now with the interconnections, what I do impacts across the globe. People I've never heard of or met or won't. Yes. And I think to tie this back into what we're seeing in terms of the evolution of leadership, you've Mm -hmm. got now two generations of people that are used to being connected globally, right? They're following somebody on TikTok that's in another country or many other countries. And they're Mm -hmm. aware of how it feels to be in that country at this moment and what they're seeing from their leadership. And we're Mm -hmm. seeing more than ever the contrast, you know, people on a day-to-day basis saying, I'm seeing different leadership from other parts of the world than we're seeing mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. That didn't used to be a real-time affair. We spun that all through the yeah. media, yeah. right? Well, now there's no spinning. That doesn't mean that, well, that's not fair. There's constant spinning, but there's way more signals that you have available to you mm-hmm. to draw a conclusion of your own, right? And that then has an impact in how you perceive leadership around you and how you project your own leadership on those around you. So we talked about, in preparation for the conversation, some of the characteristics that that younger generation is expecting from and demonstrating as leaders. Yeah, so just to maybe summarize a few of those, mm-hmm. and then we can parse yeah, them a little yeah. bit. So, you know, first of all, you've got an entire general, you've got all of us, by the way, mm-hmm. What, what changes for Gen Z is available to all of us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's another sort of conversation for us to have is I'm sitting here as a Gen Xer. Am I taking advantage of everything that's available to a Gen Zer? The answer is it's there for me. I have to choose. Well, and the reason you're on the show and other people aren't is because you are one of the very few people, I think, is identifying the best in the range and bringing it on, looking at what no longer works for you and exiting it, but in a very thoughtful way, not just, oh, that's what they do, so I'm going to do that because it works for them. But what's going to work for me in my level in an organization, position in life, expectations of my ecosystem? How do you take on what a Gen Zer is doing, and at the same time, leveraging the the things you learn from your parents as traditionalists. Yeah, I mean, I think a piece of it is you have to immerse yourself in those contexts to mm-hmm. really understand that, which is one of the reasons why I made the pivot to work in a startup world a few mm-hmm. years ago, because it puts me squarely in the middle of an organization that's largely populated by millennials. Mm-hmm. And I am able to evolve my leadership style to operate inside of that context. And it is definitely different, not that the fundamentals of strategy are different, but the way you express strategy in a way that works for a millennial looks different than for mm-hmm. a Gen Xer or for a boomer. Uh, similarly, I teach at the college level. Guess who's in college now? It's all Gen Z. 
I was recently on a trip with uh, a group of Ohio University students, and it was interesting with the companies we were meeting with on the West Coast, they kept talking to the students and saying, well, you millennials. And I had to correct multiple times and share with the person who's talking to them, just so you know, you're not talking to a single millennial in this room. Mm -hmm. They're all Gen Z. Right. And they don't see the world through the same lens because mm -hmm. they've grown up in a different context. And so for me, I think it's essential that you immerse yourself in that context to at least some degree to really understand it. I don't think you can read a white paper. You've got to sit down and actually talk to people, right, and actually participate. And so one of the reasons why my engagement at the college level is so essential to me is because it's a huge opportunity for me to learn and adapt my own leadership style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm the same in and out of a college setting, in and out of a graduate school setting, and working with people across the age range, young and also much more experienced from the traditionalist generation who have brilliant insights as well. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's not one or the other. It really is this idea of bridging that I take the the wizard from Harry Potter and combine him with Harry Potter. And the brilliance is what comes from all of that to meet the current needs of whatever the situation is. I, I think of healthcare as a great analogy, right? If you think about a doc and mm -hmm. how they have to evolve you know, if you're an eye doctor in today's world and you're not using laser technology, are you really relevant? Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> At least that you would not be the doctor I chose. So this is Maureen Metcalf and Greg Moran, and we are talking about the leadership qualities and how do we bridge across generations. As we go on break, I encourage you to think about who are you seeing now? that you think is exceptional and what qualities are they demonstrating that you might consider practicing. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Innovative Leadership. 
co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership. You're with Greg Moran and Maureen Metcalf, and we're talking about bridging leadership across generations and the idea that it's not a generation or a way, but it really is cultivating the best of all groups. And during break, we were talking about age and ageism, and and especially in the U.S. as we're coming up on an election, and now our candidates appear all to be in their 70s. And so, Greg, would you share with our listeners what you shared with me, the conversation? Yeah, so I was uh, I was speaking with one of my students at Ohio University, and he was lamenting that, you know, we don't have any candidates that, that are young, and he would love to see somebody young be the president. And I asked him to kind of pull that apart a little bit and dig a little deeper and try and express what that meant to him. You know, because my reaction to that is age isn't a very good qualifier for somebody to be a president. (laughs) You have to be a certain age to have a certain level of life experience. Well, and there are rules about this. uh, But that and specifically for that reason, there is some Mm -hmm. correlation between age and life experience and your ability to deal with the kind of pressures of that office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, specifically the age of somebody is probably not a good qualifier. As the old joke goes, uh, have you had 20 years of experience or have you had one year of experience 20 (laughs) times? Mm -hmm. And so we ended up having a really good conversation about that. And how do you pull that apart? Because what he was really saying is, I want somebody that I can identify with. I want somebody that feels relevant to me. And I think that is not a question of age. That's a question Mm -hmm. of what we've been talking about, which is leaders' accountability to take on the tools, techniques, strategies of leadership that make them relevant on a transgenerational basis. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, you won't be relevant across those generational boundaries, which limits your ability to lead and influence. Mm -hmm. As you're talking, the other thing that comes to mind is who surrounds me. Because any one leader isn't leading a country. They're not even leading a company, and even a small company for the most part. So if we have fairly seasoned people in the top job, are they getting appropriate perspective and leveraging that perspective in their thought process, decision-making, execution of policies and such? Well, I've had the opportunity to work for, I'm going to say at this point, I think 12 CEOs okay. at a, a number of different companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the evidence for me is clear that it varies by CEO Mm -hmm. and it varies depending on the company culture. Mm -hmm. I'll use Ford as an example. Ford has a hierarchical model of leadership that dates back to the whiz kids coming out of World War II. As a leader there, if you don't actively fight that hierarchy – you will become isolated from the truth incredibly rapidly. Okay. And your ability to make decisions remains high and influence outcomes remains high. 
the data upon which you are basing those decisions becomes increasingly irrelevant Mm -hmm. because nobody wants to tell you the truth unless you really go out and seek it. And those hierarchical systems, it can become very, very dangerous because you've now got people who are potentially living in echo chambers that are telling them how amazing they are. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Rome is burning and they're up there playing the violin, right? So you have, I think, some real dangers in hierarchical systems of leadership. Mm -hmm. By the same token... Anarchy isn't a really good approach to leadership either. And so you you know, you look at experiments in leadership models like what you've seen at Zappos and other companies mm-hmm. that can work, but ultimately people are begging for structure, even if it's self-created yeah. structure. Yeah. Because it just becomes too efficient to inefficient to get anything done if everybody's participating in every decision. Yeah, I, and and for me that that is the definition of one of Dante's rings that Everybody can't. We can't get anything done, and we don't need the input of everyone. We need representatives, maybe, of key voices, but not every person. Well, then I do think that technology gives us a way to cross Mm -hmm. boundaries. Mm -hmm. I've always thought of my role uh, as a leader as not being better or more important than anybody else's role in the company. Mm -hmm. I've had teams as large as 5,000 people. I consistently would say in that context, I've got a different role than you on the team, mm-hmm. and I've got my accountability is to make these decisions and mm-hmm. or create this kind of strategic clarity for the organization, but that's not more important than what you're doing. And in fact, if I don't do my job today, nothing bad happens. If you don't do your job today, something bad might happen. Actually, so, if you don't do your job today, something bad does happen. Exactly. And, and in some cases, they all lose their jobs. It's just harder to pinpoint at which point you blew it up. That's true. But I I did have more flexibility right, in terms right. of timing. Yeah. Right. And so I always tried to emphasize inside of a hierarchical environment the importance of everybody playing their role versus accentuating that, well, I'm here and you're below me in the hierarchy. That's not an important or helpful fact in the Mm -hmm. moment of decision-making because your ability to make a decision may depend on the honesty and completeness of the facts that they share with you. And if they believe there's some consequence to them for telling you the truth and they mislead you, you now are making a bad decision. Mm -hmm. That ripples through the entire organization. I am not opposed to the, the, quote, bureaucracy. I'm opposed to unnecessary and unhelpful bureaucracy. But to your point, it is valuable for me to show up in the morning and know what I'm supposed to get done, not recreate things, not wonder who, who I'm accountable for or what I'm accountable for. And I think great leadership is creating the context in which people don't need to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. They have enough of an understanding of where they fit into yeah. the context of what you're doing as a community that it's obvious. A bad quality system is one where somebody has to inspect. A great mm-hmm. quality system is where somebody builds high quality stuff. Yeah, right? I came out of the the whole Malcolm Baldridge and the TQM movement. So, so yeah, build it in. And that requires clear process and process control and clear accountabilities. I know when I come in, I run this machine, not that machine. Or I run both, but I know when I'm supposed to be here and what I'm supposed to do to produce that high-quality product. 
and done well, that feels very empowering. Mm-hmm. You're the CEO right. of your workstation, yep. right? And done well, right? Mm-hmm. So when you create that context, my my challenge to myself uh, to this day when I set objectives or try to set a vision for a company or for an organization inside of a company is I should be able to get the story on one page and mm-hmm. everybody should be able to find themselves on the page. If you work at this organization and you can't find yourself on a, on the page with respect to where you fit into the company achieving its vision or its mission and or its mission, then I haven't done my job as a leader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are classic stories, and I'm not going to get this exactly right, but directionally, when NASA was putting the first person on the moon, everyone at NASA knew their role in helping make that happen. Not everyone got a seat on the the spaceship or the rocket, but everyone who contributed to that knew that they were contributing to something big and important. Yes, and I think that's a great example of where we can look back at that and say there was clarity of purpose. There was uh, clarity of timeline. And there was sufficient resource provided by leadership mm-hmm. to achieve those objectives. And that's you know a crystallization mm-hmm. in some ways of what leadership really looks like. But back to the point that we're making, right, how you communicate that through an organization today probably looks different. If you're mm-hmm. sending out an email to millennials and Gen Z, A, they're not going to get it for a couple of days. They hate email and they don't view it as a meaningful means of communication because they didn't grow up using it. Mm. Email was literally built on the paradigm of an inner office memo. I defy you to ask a Gen Z what an inner office memo is. Yeah, and they, they have no idea. You know, what does CC stand for? Hmm, carbon copy. How many Gen Zs <laughs> know what a carbon copy is, right? So the point is all of the paradigms that made a whole bunch of mm-hmm. sense to us who started in a world with manila envelopes and little strings yep. on them, right? <laughs> Email made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. To a millennial, it's this weird abstraction that makes no sense. Like even the structure of how they thread conversations doesn't make sense because they didn't grow up in a world where they wrote letters to each other. So the slacks and the, the other platforms, chanties and things make much more sense. Absolutely, because they've grown up with technology that enabled a conversational paradigm that looks more like you and I talking. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense to them. And they don't understand why we're not all running to that. (laughs) (laughs) So so let's use that then as our pivot to what do tomorrow's leaders need to bring? I think it's a great question to ponder kind of what does the next generation need to bring to the table. And I, you know, again, the fundamentals haven't changed, right? We continue to need the ability to set a strategy, though, that's grounded in solid analysis. There Mm -hmm. is no excuse for not knowing as much as you can know if you're going to set strategy. And what I'm carefully not saying is know everything. There is no context in which you know everything. But you know what you need to know, and you have scenarios that help you identify some of the, the potential opportunities. And we've all worked with people that caught up, get caught up in analysis paralysis and can't make a decision, and particularly mm-hmm. in a crisis going back to COVID-19. We will not have perfect information. We know that standing still just allows the problem to get worse. And if somebody gets caught up, and I've literally had to have people in a crisis removed from my team because they were overwhelmed with the potential implications mm-hmm. of making a wrong decision 
And I eventually had to say, you're not helpful here. I need you to step out. Right. Well, that's where resilience matters, that we're able to process the, the disruption and get focused. Uh, I do think just building on where we were, the importance of collaborating with people who see the world differently to create solu- you know, solutions that didn't previously exist mm-hmm. is fundamental in today's world. I think the accommodation of diversity in the world is not just a compelling sort of social mandate. It's a compelling leadership mandate. You won't be as good as you need to be mm-hmm. to compete as an organization if you're not good at bringing multiple points of view to bear and not only bringing them to bear, seeking them out if you don't have them to ensure that you're seeing an opportunity through the broadest set of perspectives possible. Because I really believe that you won't have the best answers. And the level of competition in so many markets now is becoming so intense that you actually have to get it right or you won't compete. It's that simple. Well, and and it's interesting that you say that one of our seven leadership behaviors is innately collaborative. And in my view, that that is being able to find those different voices and voices, perspectives, ways of seeing the world and bring them together and synthesize the different perspectives so we create solutions that didn't exist before to the problems in some cases that didn't. And that gives us the competitive advantage. If I'm able to collaborate and synthesize better than my competition, I will have an advantage. I'd like to add on to this list with something that, you know, may sound ethereal, but I I am convinced is a very real piece of the story of leadership uh, for tomorrow, and that's authenticity. I think we live in a world where our level of skepticism is off the charts compared to where Mm -hmm. it has been historically. Right. You know, the concept of a snake oil salesperson standing on a corner and convincing you that this liniment is going to solve all your problems (laughs) is pretty much gone from sort of meaningful society. Mm. It doesn't mean that people who don't peddle weird things on the Internet don't get some hits occasionally. But the point is, we're all suspicious of everybody's message. We all double check everything. And so today's leader, I think has to find a way to connect authentically with an audience in very short periods of time. And I think that requires a sensibility as a leader Mm -hmm. that is, that's different than what we've had in the past, right? You have to be able to demonstrate a level of transparency that makes you authentic very, very rapidly, or people just move on to the next. That's actually, again, one of our seven is authentic and reflective. Not only am I authentic, but I have to be introspective, understanding how my message is conveying and continue to to learn and grow because occasionally when I'm authentic, I do something that's stupid and I need to recognize where my authenticity and blind spots are a challenge so that I, I cannot derail myself by being authentic. And that, that reflective piece, I think, then leads to this transparency. Mm-hmm. There's a humility that is required for authenticity 
that is hard. Like so you as could a leader, have written our whole competency model, professionally humble is another one that I am gonna make mistakes. I am going to do things well and things poorly, and I need to own the good and own the bad. And I think we're seeing that reflected. Like as companies, a lot of companies said, we're going to go look into your social media past. Mm-hmm. Right now you're seeing companies begin to move beyond that and say, why am I doing that? Every college kid makes <laughs> bad decisions in college, right? I mean, really, is yeah. that like, did, did yeah. our generation make fewer bad decisions in college? No, yeah. they're just on the internet now. So do yeah. we... Do we find a way to recognize that there's a way to be transparent? You know, look at my social media background. Find my mistakes, right? Those mistakes are all my learning opportunities. And I get it. If you find one you can't live with as a hiring manager, Mm -hmm. then we'll deal with that. But recognize that those are often the ways we learn and grow. Yeah, I would say that the person who has actually 20 years of experience over 20 years would have mistakes in their social media. The person who has one year of experience over 20 years, 20 times the same, has fewer mistakes. That's the person I don't want to hire. Couldn't agree more. And I think so many of the good leaders that I've worked for, worked with, had the opportunity to uh, experience in my life. Uh, When you hear them tell their stories, their stories are about taking risks and failing. Mm-hmm. Their stories are about, are about making bad decisions and learning from them, right? Those are the people that have this resilience mm-hmm. that you're talking about, that have this humility that we've been talking about, that have this authenticity, all of these yeah. characteristics. Yeah. They those inspire are time- followership. Exactly. Those are timeless. But even those leaders have to adapt the tools and techniques, and use those tools and techniques that are relevant to the next generation if mm-hmm. they want to be relevant to that generation. And so that's, to me, the message is the fundamentals remain the same, but our responsibility as leaders is to evolve the way we engage mm-hmm. in a way that makes us relevant across generations. Beautifully said. On that, I'm going to take a breath. We're going on break. This is Maureen Metcalf and Greg Moran. And As we are on break, I encourage you again to think about what are those timeless qualities that you respect in leaders long past, even some deceased, and that you see in younger leaders now that you can't follow someone who doesn't have those qualities. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute 
offers proven results backed by leading edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership with Greg Moran and Maureen Metcalf. We are talking about, before we went on break, those timeless qualities that leaders over the course of history have demonstrated. So, Greg, you were talking about, during break, civilizations that you've studied. Can you say more to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the obligations of leadership is to learn from, you know, learn from history. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will say for myself, not arguing it's the only source of of, of wisdom, Mm -hmm. but I have spent a fair amount of time studying Roman history. And I've done that because the Roman Empire is, if not the longest lasting, one of the longest lasting Western civilizations that we have any historical record of. And we have the evidence that they were operating at a technological level, at a leadership level, at a, at a societal level that was substantially higher than really anybody around them. Mm-hmm. And they obviously mm-hmm. did pretty well in that environment, which is one of the reasons we don't have much history of those other yeah. places mm-hmm. because the Romans conquered them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes devastatingly, like we know very little about Carthage because Carthage tried to attack Rome and failed. And Rome literally wiped them off the face of the earth as if they never existed. So we have very little history there. But we can learn a lot from the Romans, not all of it positive. But the point is there's something to be learned there. And those characteristics of leadership that you can see Mm -hmm. uh, going all the way back to the Roman Empire or even to the last century – you know, what does leadership look like in crisis? We don't have to go back 100 years to find an example of crisis. Yours and my parents mm-hmm. lived in a world where they contemplated not surviving a war. We've not faced that. Right. We've never faced the reality of extinction. Our parents faced the very real mm-hmm. threat of extinction. What does leadership look like in that context? And does it, you know inform us with respect to the kind of choices we make, say, in a crisis. You know, it's interesting. My dad was in military intelligence. He was in Vietnam twice. He's still living, but I read some of his letters to my mother about what he was facing in that moment. And it's just fascinating to see the perspective that someone has when they don't know that they're going to live through the week, when they are in literally a war zone where bombs are being dropped, where their helicopter was shot out of the air. That kind of perspective, and even though my father and I have very different political views, I consistently ask for his point of view 
because I know he sees things that I, I don't and won't see. And that's back to the collaboration piece. I know there's stuff I don't understand, a lot of it. Right. And so, you know, when we think about transgenerational qualities and what it takes to lead, I think one of the first things for me on the list is you've got to be as disciplined about learning about leadership as you would be about any other, you know, profession Mm -hmm. or dimension of, you know, what you choose to spend your time on. Uh, Being amazing at the technical side of a specific science or, you know, at the work of teaching or whatever it Mm -hmm. might be is obviously important. We all know that you Mm -hmm. need to go study to do that. I would say the same thing is true of leadership. You have to put time and energy into learning how to lead. And it's actually one of the things that I spend a lot of time at on at Ohio University Mm -hmm. is this concept of helping undergraduate students understand what their leadership identity is. The way they lead as an individual has to be reflective of their personality. Introverts can be great leaders, but they have I to lead. I hope so, because I am one. <laughs> and I am as well. Not arguing that I'm a great leader, but I would argue that it's you can possible. learn to be an effective leader with whatever personality mm-hmm. traits mm-hmm. you have. And you can go find examples of that. But it does take work and discipline. And so we have these students going through all mm-hmm. kinds of personal experiences, journaling, all of this mm-hmm. exposure to different types of leadership models so that they can find what works for them. We're, I think the point that leadership can be learned and must be for leaders to be truly effective, unless you're one of the, the ones who happen to just be born brilliant and many people are not that it is a skill that is learned and practiced. I'm uh, working right now with the Uniformed Service University who teaches military physicians. We're working on a textbook on leadership and, you know, looking again at the range of leadership across the course of history. And part of this is really inspired by many of the physicians that I've uh, worked with as their leadership coach who were never taught leadership skills. They are brilliant physicians. In a heartbeat, I would go to any one of them. I hope I don't need to, but I would. And yet they didn't go to school in an era where leadership was taught. And so they stepped into leadership roles, not necessarily having the leadership education. And it it has an impact on their ability to deliver. 100%. They need to be educated on how to lead if they're going to lead effectively. And and I would emphasize a point that, that you were alluding to. Some people are definitely born with a set of characteristics that make them attractive to follow. Mm-hmm. Having people follow you does not make you a leader. <laughs> That's like having a child makes you a parent. Legally, it does. <laughs> right. But the, the effectiveness doesn't necessarily equate. Exactly. But it can lead to this delusion. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, people will follow me because I'm attractive or thoughtful or smart or whatever it is. Charismatic. That's called, yeah, charismatic, whatever that characteristic is. But it in mm-hmm. no way qualifies you as a leader. Not it just gives one. you people following you. <laughs> and that's a very dangerous thing, mm-hmm. particularly if there's an ethical or a fundamental moral failing in mm-hmm. who you are as a person. Now you've got a cult. Well, and that's where we use the developmental psychology frameworks to say that there is actually an evolution up the ladder 
of what effective leadership looks like. And at the later stages of that we'll call developmental maturity, there are a bucket of behaviors that reflect these things we're talking about, like humility and collaboration and inspiring followership, but in an ethical way, not a cultish way. Absolutely. And I believe ethics and a moral framework, and I'm not subscribing to a specific one, are essential to the work of leadership. If you go into leadership not knowing where the bound your ethical boundaries mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. right you end up with Enron you end yeah. up with Wells Fargo which was just in the news today Charlie Scharf the CEO of Wells Fargo was sitting in front of the you know congressional committee today mm. talking about where he's trying to take Wells Fargo post scandal okay right I worked with Charlie at uh, JP Morgan Chase and he was the CFO there when uh, when Jamie came on board uh, back in the late 90s at Bank one and then ultimately mm. JP Morgan Chase but the Wells Fargo study is such our case is such a great case study for this ethical framework. Mm -hmm. 5,000 people made the choice to defraud their customers so they could get a bonus. And it just illustrates so clearly to me that if you don't know where your boundaries are before you get into a situation where you may be asked to do something unethical, Mm -hmm. it becomes very difficult to make the choice because so much is at stake for you. If you've got a mortgage, two car payments, kids in private school, and the only way you're going to get your bonus is to create a fake account, that's a tough call if you don't already know the answer before you're asked. That's where we talk a lot recently about character and what is character. And I agree the, the culture and the systems really inform the choices people make and my guess is many of those 5,000 people would consider themselves ethical people. And in a setting where this was required to get their bonus, pay their mortgage, make sure their kids go, are attended to, whether it's the the traveling soccer game or have uniforms for band, people try to do the best they can in that context. And sometimes without that clear, ingrained moral compass, it's easy to stray off just thinking it's a one-off. Absolutely. And I think it is illustrative how hard that aspect of leadership is when you look at a case like Enron. How many people Mm -hmm. participated in the fraud before the whistleblower, the one person, finally felt badly enough about what was going on and was ethically challenged enough to tell the story? Hundreds, thousands of people participating in that, sitting in conference rooms, designing off-the-books partnerships, Eyes wide open mm-hmm. as to what they were doing, right? And you're right. Many of those people would have emerged from college and said, I'm a good person. Yeah, Cut they, to five years later and you're in a conference room whiteboarding out how you're going to hide a bunch of money, right? What's the journey? Yeah, and those people probably don't go look in the mirror at night and say, I just scammed grandma, right? They They are behaving in ways that don't strike them as innately inappropriate. Right. So back to this, you know, grounding ourselves back in this leadership. What do I look for in the next generation? I hope that we, as folks with more experience and maybe have mm-hmm. having experienced some of these failures of leadership over the last uh, 20 years, pick your time frame, mm-hmm. right? 
can help them understand the importance of not just some of the dimensions of leadership, but all of the dimensions that we've been talking about today, and that they can enter the workforce with the confidence that they should express each of those dimensions appropriately, including the ethical framework, Mm -hmm. and that they should value the things that make somebody a holistic, resilient, sustainable leader. It really bothers me, even to this day, to see companies optimizing just some of the dimensions of leadership in pursuit of what they think is the broader goal. I look Mm -hmm. at Travis Kalanick at Uber. Such a great example. Everything you needed to know about Travis to know that there were some fundamental issues with his characteristics as a leader were knowable before they made him CEO of Uber. This is a guy who'd already tried to cheat on his taxes and had to flee the country. This is a guy who'd already been brought up on charges for stealing IP before he was made the CEO of Uber. How does that happen? How does that happen? I think it's optimizing for a subset of the objectives. Yeah, I'll overlook all of that because Travis is super charismatic. He knows how to put together a business model. He knows how to inspire and recruit, and he knows how to scale a system. All of that was true. It's undeniably true. He did that. And he created this unbelievably toxic culture that ultimately almost took the company out. And it's not clear that it you know, will survive long term because they're operating under so many consent decrees now. It's not clear they can compete. So those challenges all hunt back to missing those dimensions and picking a leader. We've just seen it recently with uh, Adam Newman and WeWork, who just sold mm-hmm. his Hamptons residence today. Uh, I saw in the Wall Street Journal. Here's a guy using investors' money to, to buy, buy properties that he then leased back to the company. What? How, like, how does that happen? But again, we're optimizing for only some of the important aspects of leadership. Does that make sense? It does, especially the idea that what are you optimizing for? You get what you get based on the model you've created. This is not a surprise to anyone, the Enron issue, or should not be, that if you're optimizing for performance at any cost, you get a culture and systems that optimize for that. So we've got about three minutes left What practical guidance do we want to give our listeners? What can you do based on what you heard from Greg today? So I would encourage people to spend time paying attention to what the next generation coming along is using to create influence and lead. Mm -hmm. Even, Even in their earliest years, you'll see young people beginning to exert influence over Mm -hmm. each other, beginning to try out leadership. Mm -hmm. What are the tools they're using to do that? And how can you adapt to that? I've got a 13-year-old intern. It's amazing, the stuff she's doing. She is better at posting things on YouTube than my adult counterparts. And we should not dismiss that. We have to pay attention, right? And understand that as older leaders, we have to adapt to the sensibilities and the tools of the next generation and the generation after that. And then what I would encourage younger leaders to do is take the time to study the fundamentals of leadership Mm -hmm. and learn how those fundamentals can work into what you're already great at. Mm -hmm. You already know how to use the tools Now, how do you become a leader inside of that context? And that's going back to the fundamentals, looking back into history, really understanding what works, seeing where leadership failed, 
right? So all of us have an obligation to keep learning Mm -hmm. about leadership, but the nature of that learning can change based on where you are in your journey. Beautiful. I love the idea of bridging if I am a traditional leadership learning from every generation beyond me, if I'm a new leader learning from all those who came before me and from my peers, not just those, whoever those people are that don't look like me, but looking at my circle and other circles and pulling the best characteristics, qualities, and looking at my ecosystem and what's required of me in that environment. Greg, thank you for sharing your insight. I love these conversations. For our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Please give us feedback. I can be reached at info at innovateleader.com by email as an old person (laughs) or (laughs) LinkedIn or Facebook. Connect with me on LinkedIn using my name, Maureen Metcalf, or on Facebook, Innovate Leader. And please, if you're joining us on Voice America or iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or iHeartRadio, like us, rate us, give us comments, especially the good ones. And we look forward to the next show where you're able to join us. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.